Good morning, church. Today we'll be reading out of Mark 10, 35 through 45, and if you want to follow along on your pew Bibles, it's on page 1006. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want to do for you whatever you ask Excuse me. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left, hand, left side is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them, I called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to understand these words of, uh, of yours and uh, help us to uh, put it into practice, to put others ahead of ourselves, as we heard in the verse in Philippians that uh, was prayed earlier. So help us, Lord, to uh, realize our right place, that, uh, that we are but servants. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. My name is Aaron. For those of you who haven't met, we have a new, few new faces this morning. So that, that passage in Mark chapter 10 is my favorite passage in all the Bible related to leadership in the church, where James and John, they wanted to be in a position of honor, and they have uh, we, what we like to call around here a foot-shaped mouth. Jesus reminds them that the greatest must be a servant, where Jesus came to not to be served, but to serve. And the way that he does that is by giving of his life for us. If you're familiar with the things that took place in the scripture or after uh, the events of the Bible, the story of James and John, these things actually happen for them and they continue and they truly did suffer for the name of Christ. James, he was the first of all the apostles to be martyred by Herod, by a sword. John, on the other hand, was the last one to die. You know John. He was exiled in the island of Patmos, and the Lord Jesus gave him the revelation that we have uh, in the book of the Bible. But before this, John was thrown into a boiling vat of oil, and he survived. 
he lived. So these two brothers, sons of thunder, as they're called, one suffered first, and I would say that the other suffered most of all the apostles. And so for three weeks now, you've probably considered and wondered, what does Aaron mean by a covenant with our leaders as it relates to membership in this local church? Is he going to ask me something that I don't want to do? Or is he going to ask me something that I was not expecting to do? This morning is about leaders because we have them and also because we need them. This morning is also about members, of which your leaders are included. We're moving on from who the church, who we are as a church, to now how we function as a church. So, would you pray with me as we go into Ephesians chapter 4. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to come to lead, as Susanna prayed, to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, for us. He gave us a great example to follow. God, would you help us to remember that? Help us to consider that as we look at what your Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians this morning. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to the things in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll look at the first three verses to get us started. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so as we start with those first three verses, we see that the Apostle Paul here is a humble man. He appeals, he urges this church in light of all the gospel doctrine that he's already talked about. We spent a last two weeks in chapter 2. He is now having them to act in light of this gospel and to live in a certain way. He doesn't say he's an apostle. He doesn't say, I'm the man who planted this church. He doesn't say, I'm the man that Jesus met personally on the road to Damascus. He says, humbly, I'm a prisoner. Paul was faithful to the gospel, and now he is in prison. And he's got this humble posture by which he can now urge the church and appeal to them, those who are reading this letter. And so faithful Christians can pay a price. Even prison, like, or you could be like James or John. Prolonged torture and even death. And these men, they paid a considerable price because of their obedience to the Lord. Paul doesn't tell this church what to do. He is begging them in their walking, in their living of life. Please, church, be found holy. He could have said, I'm a prisoner. Knock it off. Be holy. He says, let's walk well. When my kids argue, and yes, they do that, 
it's easy for me to say with a few more decibels, knock it off. But when I calm myself down, I slow down and I say, hey guys, let's love each other. It's received a little bit differently in our home. Please pray that I do the latter more than the former in the days ahead. James says in chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so may our leaders here at Cornerstone Church be humble men. A verse God used to call me to pastoral ministry was 2 Corinthians 12, 15. It should be on the screen. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. All of Paul's resources, all of his hard work was for him to be used for the sake of saving souls. It should make your leaders glad to serve in this way, church. And Paul calls this church to be holy through gentleness or meekness, some of your translations may say. And so I thought I, we would consider two meek men in Scripture. The first is Moses, Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. He wasn't a slouch, and we know his story. He led the people of Israel out with boldness and strength, but he was gentle, leading the people out of Egypt. The other is Jesus. Jesus' word says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word as gentleness in Matthew 5.5. 5. But Jesus, of himself, in Matthew 11.29, says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. The Lord of the universe, the most powerful being, was gentle, meek, lowly, for you and for me. Good example, follow, or it's a good example for our leaders to follow. And so there's a book in the back on that back table. It's this one right here. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's the best book I read in 2020. It's the best book I read in 2021. And I'm sure it will be the best book I read in 2022 as well. In Crossway, they gave us 200 free copies. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we often focus on what he did. Where the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But this book will help you to see Jesus' heart for you. For sinners, for sufferers like you and me. So take one. Take two. If you have a friend that is considering the things of Jesus or has questions about who Jesus is and what he's done, take them. Give them away. Leave it at the coffee shop. Leave it at the counter at the gas station. We have a lot of them. So take it. Use it. Read it. I'm sure you're going to ask us to do a Bible study. We might. But it is a great book. And it's perfect timing for you today to take that book, to consider the example that we've seen that Jesus gives for us as we follow Jesus' example as leaders in this church. And so leaders exercise humility, but they also do it with patience. In my office, another one of my favorite leadership verses is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with 
them all. Some are idle. Some are tired. Some are weak. It's not always best to say, get up, let's go. Be patient with them all. May we continue as leaders to be patient with you all. And leaders, they also love. And this forbearing love that Paul's referring to is, is a form of meekness and gentleness. Loving for the sake of someone else, as Susanna prayed from Philippians 2. Not thinking that we will get anything in return. And so Paul says, for the sake of unity, for the sake of preserving the unity that we have as a church, to love. And I'm sorry to break it to you. But these things are not just for your leaders. They're also for you. Paul urges you. He urges me. He urges our leaders to lead by example. And he urges lead the members of the church who follow the leaders to follow the leader's example. That we would be a church of love. And so when leaders, when we come in a posture of humility and gentleness and patience and love... My assumption is it's a little easier to follow that, isn't it? Church leaders can abuse their powers. Your leaders will not lead you perfectly. I hate to break it to you. But we do want to love you. We do want to guide you. We do want to lead you by the, God, by the grace of God into the things that we are called to in Scripture. And so we have good example in Jesus. We have a good example in Paul, where leaders are humble. We'll see in verses 4 through 6 that leaders are also there to unify. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, our unity is grounded in the Trinity. And although there are unique roles for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are completely unified in every aspect of their divine nature, but also in the plan for our salvation. We see the word one mentioned in these three verses seven times. Seven times. I think Paul is trying to make a point. So we're called into one body. One body of Christ made up of different people from different backgrounds. Also different bodies of believers. East Randolph Baptist Church, our church here, we make up a unified church with a capital C. Theologians call this the universal church, where it's the collective people of God throughout the world. One body. One spirit, of the proper noun referring to the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, eternal, and part of the three persons that make up the Godhead. One body, one spirit, one hope. Church, we have only one means of salvation. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul says that that hope belongs to our called, where we are called to Christ, and that hope in His work for us. One Lord, the ruler of our life, Jesus, where He provides the redemption and hope, but also headship 
of this and all churches. One faith. This is our belief in Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And our faith, church, it secures us. It establishes us. One baptism. Baptism as our identification with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, 4, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And last but definitely not least, one God and Father of all. God is the sovereign God we saw in Genesis, providentially working all things for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purposes. But He is also our loving Father who sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. So leaders are humble. Leaders are unify. And if you don't see your leaders reminding of you of these things, we have a problem. You should get your leaders to change, even if it's me, if that becomes the case. Church, may we never depart from the gospel, from the encouragements from the Apostle Paul and these truths. So leaders are humble. Leaders unify and leaders appeal from the gospel. We'll see this in verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So we are given gifts. We as a church are given gifts to unify each other as believers. And we all come to church, right? We are all part of this church with different sets of abilities and skills. I'm naturally an organized person. That's why you get your email at the same time almost every week. I can use that in the church. You Vermonters, you can fix pretty much anything. God has helped me to grow in my gifts, and I've learned how to fix things on YouTube. But he's also helped me in, over the years in shepherding, preaching maybe. How has God used you? How has He grown you to use gifts for the sake of the church here? And Paul says that these come through the grace of God, grace being unmerited favor. Since gifts come and are measured by Christ, there should be no jealousy in the body of Christ. Well, so-and-so has to get this gift, and I would love that, or so-and-so has that gift, and I really don't want that one. There should be no jealousy in the body. Paul says the gifts are given to us. As a believer, Paul is speaking to fellow believers, that the gifts are given to us, which would include Paul. And so when we don't use our gifts, church, for the sake of the body, the body misses out. But also, you do. And the joy that comes from that. And so Paul points us to the gospel by referencing Psalm 68. 
I texted this to Tyler as I was studying for this passage, that one commentator called this reference by Paul textually and exegetically the most difficult and obscure of all the Psalms. So I was very excited that it was in our text this morning. But Psalm 68 is celebrating God's triumphant march from Sinai to Zion, from the wilderness to Jerusalem. It's also pointing to Christ's descent to the earth that Susanna referenced, his subsequent descent to the grave, enabling him to gain victory over our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. In humiliation, he was also then exalted after he conquered the grave and rose from the dead. And so, leaders, we appeal from the gospel just like Paul is doing here. And so when anybody gets up here to preach, Jesus must be at the center. Remember that. If it ha doesn't happen, make a conversation happen. And make sure it does continue. Though Jesus is the center of all the preaching that happens here. Our urges and appeals as leaders to you as a church should come from the gospel, just like Paul does here. And I hate to break it to you, but you will find better preaching online. You should probably listen to some of it from time to time. But here, you have us. Here, we can speak to you. You're welcome. Here, we know you. We love you. Your leaders know you. They love you. They know your stories. They can preach to the life circumstances that you are dealing with. Can point you to Christ. The online preacher who has no relationship with you, he can't. I love sitting in this room when other men preach God's word. I'm encouraged by the gospel just as you are by those men. And we will continue to have brothers come up here to preach God's word because they can see things in scripture and God can use them to speak scripture to us in ways that I can't. Eric is doing that this morning at a church in North Adams, Massachusetts to bless them. Tyler did that this morning at East Randolph where he preached so that Marty could get a little break. May preaching be here always have five things. I learned this from a book by Jared Wilson recently. Contextual, that it's rooted in the actual text of Scripture. Convictional, it's not just emotional, but it's firmly fixed in our belief and grounded in the truth of God's Word. Clear, sometimes I don't understand what I'm trying to say, but preaching here should be understandable. It should be compassionate. We don't want to preach sermons of moralism. We don't want to beat people up. We want to preach from love and appeal like Paul is doing here in Ephesians. And fifth, it should be cross-centered, where God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it should be preached here every Sunday. And that changes us. It's not our eloquence or how well we can speak or our moralism of rules to follow. Leaders are humble. Leaders unify. Leaders appeal from the gospel, but leaders also equip so that they can protect the saints. We'll see this in verses 11 through 14. 
And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Jesus gave some gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In the church, they confirm those gifts in watching people serve. And so we'll look at those five gifts that Paul mentions here in this text. The first is apostle. Apostle is an envoy or a messenger that is sent out. It's, it's the person that says, there's no church over there, so I will go there and preach the gospel. A prophet, an exhorter, people who encourage you in God's word and apply it to one's life. Also, a preacher, an evangelist, people who proclaim the gospel to those inside and outside of the church. You just can't stop these people from pointing others to the gospel. Shepherds, people who lead and care for us. They follow the good shepherd for Jesus in pursuit of the wandering with love. And teachers, people who help us to understand the authority in God's Word. Like a good parent, right? Where they don't just say, don't do that. They say, here's why you should do this instead. And Jesus was a messenger. He brought good news. He came to earth. He preached. He prophesied. He shared the gospel. He shepherded. He also taught God's Word. And so may your leaders follow Jesus' example. May we all follow His example. Don't think you're excused from evangelism, from preaching. We do that, remember, last week? From shepherding. We are all part of the body of Christ, and we are all called to build up the body of Christ. And so leaders are the ones that are recognized by the body of Christ but we need each other to do that, and we need to take advantage of the opportunities to encourage and unify the body of believers. And so leaders, we build up the body of Christ into maturity. But leaders, we do this to protect you. Paul says that we might become mature, not children tossed around like a small boat in the wind and the waves or blown away by every wind of doctrine in the world. And this happens through preaching and teaching and shepherding of the church in love. And as I was studying this, I was reminded of a couple passages. And I thought it would be interesting to, to see the history of this Ephesian church. Paul planted this church. In, Ephesian, or, sorry, in Acts 20, as he was leaving... He charged the leaders with this. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. See the theme continue. As Paul says, be careful, for the days ahead are dangerous. About five years later, Paul wrote this in Ephesians so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. A couple years later, Paul wrote a letter to the man he left in Ephesus, Timothy. 
he said this in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You think Paul continues? Second Timothy. A few years later, Paul writes this. I charge you, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Good leaders, good teachers, good pastors, good preachers don't give up. They keep reminding the church of what we are called to do. Being grounded in God's word to maturity that comes from God's word. Four times in about 10 years, Paul needed to remind the leaders of this church in Ephesus to be careful of false teaching. We need God's word because in it, Christ, as the song says, is our sure and steady anchor. We aren't tossed around by the waves, carried around by false doctrine. Church, we are not yet home yet in heaven, but we are on our way. The world we live in is hard, is it not? Leaders help and equip you and protect you with God's word. To help you not be carried about by every wind of doctrine, we will point you consistently to God's word. Don't listen to the lies of the world that says that God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. That's where true joy comes from. I heard this, a, a sociologist was referencing a couple hundred years ago. He said life was miserable back then and said people used to go to church to have their misery explained to them as disease and heartache and suffering was always around the corner. And I think the enemy has inoculated the church in 2020, 2021 to a good life. But God's word reminds us that life is hard and our enemy wants to seek and to kill and destroy. And so that said, we need God's word, not just a devotional, with someone else's words, although they can be helpful. We need God's word because nothing, church, replaces the Bible. And Paul says that this comes in cunningness and deceitful schemes is what drives us away from God. I think there's a chronic discontentment in our world. That's why marriages fall apart where we give up of our covenants. People just their actions by placing their desires over God's word. Other schemes are worldly Christianity or political Christianity or gender fluidity and personal choice or women's health as opposed to murder of innocent children or godless ideologies like critical race theory. The Bible, friends, is sufficient on its own. But cunningness and deceitful schemes slowly but surely break things apart and they leave us with no hope. Your leaders are charged with helping you. To help you remain grounded with deep roots and a steady anchor. But may we do this with gentleness 
and grace as we share truth with you. Just because a church grows does not mean it's healthy. Some trees grow but never produce fruit. One author said recently that we have a Disneyification of the church where he criticized the go live and go live your magical life where there's no place for suffering or lament or even growth. Be careful with the, church, the books that you read. Just because they say they're a Christian author doesn't mean that it is. Some are good, but be careful. Be careful with people who speak for God. Like with this book called Jesus Calling. God can and does speak for himself. We are happy to help you in discerning good books to read. Don't be scared, but we're here to help you and recommend good resources. So we're at the point now where we should probably talk about who should be leaders. In 1 Timothy 3, we have qualifications for both elders and for deacons. Those are the men that we see as leaders here in our church. And for the sake of time, we won't read those passages. Many of you are familiar with the passages. But the qualification specific to an elder that is not specific to a deacon is primarily the being able to teach. Where teaching happens here from this pulpit or on Wednesdays if you join us for our training night, or after service when someone comes and talks to you and just asks how it's going and they remind you of God's Word, or maybe even as they're praying for you, they pray Scripture and teach you in that way. When you look at the office of elder and deacon, the bar is high. But all of those qualifications, church, can be found in the New Testament for all of us, specific to every believer. But elders and deacons, they lead by example. Elders will tend to lead in their teaching, and deacons will tend to lead in their serving. But leaders are humble. Leaders unify. Leaders appeal from the gospel. Leaders equip to protect the saints. But most importantly, as we'll finish out, leaders love. Verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul says that we are joined together in the passive voice. We talked about this last week, where God works in us. He develops us. Paul says we are equipped with what we are equipped. We have what we need here with all of us. Churches will look different. Our congregation will be unique, but it will be beautiful. If we have areas of weakness, let's pray that God raises up people to serve in those areas. God delights to listen to the prayers of His children and also give good gifts to His children and respond to them when they ask. By the grace of God, though, we are who we are in this specific season, but that doesn't mean that God won't grow us. Maybe God one day will provide someone who can play a guitar or a drum. You like that, Dale? She's cheering back there. Paul says that the church builds itself up in love. Leaders help the body to grow in love. 
Church is not convenient. It's a means of God's grace, though, as He loves us. We wake up on Sunday, we take time out of our weekends, we gather with God's people, we worship together. We give of money that we've earned and worked hard for. We sacrifice time on a Wednesday evening to grow together. And God calls each of us. Our leaders will lead us, but it's in love. Love for God, but also love for each other. Love isn't convenient, is it? We are called as leaders to shepherd you. Members are called to submit and follow. Leaders are to exercise oversight, to plan things, and members are called to come alongside and participate with our leaders as we sing together, as we serve each other, as we steward our resources, as we bear witness of who Jesus is and what he's done inside this building, but also outside to those who do not yet know him. In Acts 6, verses 1 through 3, after a disagreement on how to care for people, this took place with the apostles, these leaders, these pastors. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. It was not right for the apostles to abandon preaching and teaching of God's word. And it wasn't in an arrogant or toxic or abusive way. Your leaders, your elders alike, they will serve in a lot of different ways. They are not averse to serving. And some have cleaned bathrooms and stayed late and some jump into a kid's classroom again. Some serve a lot behind the scenes. But it's here about prioritization, where wise and godly leadership prioritizes what God's Word prioritizes. And in this specific instance, it was better for them, it was more loving for them to continue in preaching and teaching. There may be things that you ask of us as leaders to do that might take away from other priorities. And we may ask you, if you want to participate, we can equip you to do those things. Or we pray that God would raise up other people to meet some of those needs. Paul also, also exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have started a new training program here that starts next weekend called Growing Leaders. And we've got about a half dozen men who aspire to leadership or we've seen leadership qualities in them. And Lord, Winnie, Lord willing, many, if not all of these men, one day will be elders and deacons here in this church. As members, you get to confirm them. You get to watch their life. You get to affirm their character and be led and served by them. We hope to, in the next few weeks, introduce them to you. And sometimes the process starts internally. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that it's a noble thing when someone aspires to this. And sometimes we affirm from outside. We say, we've noticed these things in you. 
and you have an external affirmation. But in the end, you need this internal call and this external affirmation to confirm a brother as a leader in the church, as an elder and a deacon. Cal Blessing, he used to serve as an elder. You guys have been served by him. And for a few reasons, he stepped down in the last season. And recently, he's had an inclination to return to officially serving you as an elder. He hasn't ceased shepherding you, as many of you have experienced. And your elders are really excited about his aspirations. And as we said, we would start having family gatherings uh, every quarter or so. When they hope the timing is going to be right, where in the next couple months we'll have a family gathering and we can affirm with a vote for Cal to be an elder again. And some of these other brothers who are going through the growing leaders thing, we could have a, a vote to maybe confirm a couple of them as deacons here in the church. First Peter 5, 1-3 says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. Peter is reminding these leaders to shepherd, to exercise oversight, where they have an opportunity to serve God's people. And Christ will judge how we shepherd you as your leaders. Christ will decide how well we loved you. I hope you see this Sunday is more about the burdens that your leaders have than the burdens that you have sometimes to follow. Jonathan Lehman, he said in his book, Just as the Bible establishes the government of your nation as your highest authority on earth when it comes to your citizenship in that nation, so the Bible establishes the local church as the highest authority on earth when it comes to your discipleship to Christ and your citizenship in Christ's present and promised nation. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the way of life, their way of life, and imitate their faith. Church, I can speak as one of the elders, but as one who works with these men. Your elders are worth following. They aren't perfect, but they're worth emulating. They will continue to speak to you the word of God. Remember them. Pray for them. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. As leaders speak to you the word of God, it would be a disadvantage to you if we didn't do what Hebrews said in submitting and following them. By the grace of God, we will care for you. We will watch over you. We don't want to do this just because we give an account to Jesus, although it's a heavy responsibility, but because it's the loving thing to do for you. Pray for us that we will always have joy in this. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness.
Next week, I might have one guy that joins us for this growing leaders. I probably scared them all off. In all honesty, it's a great privilege and honor to lead, to love you, to give of our lives for you. And I know your elders, they feel the same way. And so in church membership, as we've spent the last three weeks, God covenants with us so that we can covenant with each other and we can covenant with our leaders. It will be imperfect. Chris, Tyler, myself, all the members of this body, we will all be imperfect. But we mutually submit to each other. We mutually submit to you. We are in this together. And I understand my voice is influential because of that I play, but I don't get any extra votes. And it shouldn't surprise you that I've already been corrected and shot down a couple times with Tyler and Chris. It's good that way. So that's my appeal to partner with you all and covenant with us as your leaders. It is not burdensome for us. It shouldn't be burdensome for you. Please pray for us. We will continue to pray for you. Please walk with us as we try to lead you with all of our might to lead you like Jesus led all of us, and he continues to lead all of us today. By God's grace, follow us as we follow Christ. And so we'll pray, we'll worship, and we'll respond to God, I think we can all admit, is the best leader we ever have had. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the great privilege it is to shepherd and lead in this local body of believers called Cornerstone Church. God, thank you for sending your son as an apostle in some sense to come to those who were far off to be brought near. God, thank you for sending him as a prophet to come and speak about who you are and what you've done and how you call us to live. God, thank you that he not only preached the good news, but he is the good news. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he rose to give us a new life. God, thank you for the way that you shepherd us. For being so gentle and caring and loving. For going after us and leaving the 99 so that we could be part of your flock. God, thank you for teaching us. For reminding us of your word for instructing us in your word. God, would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you protect us in the days ahead? And God, we want to worship you for all you are, all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.